Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights. In this episode, I have a conversation with a great friend of mine, Jonathan, and he talks about some of the recent research that he's done in studying the story of the resurrection of Jesus and fascinating connections that that story has to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis in the garden. So if you're the type of person that you love seeing all the different nuances and connections and you want to go deeper in your Bible study, this kind of conversation is exactly for you. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome to another episode of Hebrew Bible Insights. Today, I have a new guest who I'm very excited to have, a great friend of mine, Jonathan Finley. Jonathan, say hello. Hello, people. (laughs) It is a pleasure to be here with Matthew. Matthew has been a good friend and Hebrew mentor for me. I am happy and honored to be here. Jonathan's a great guy. He's the he's the perfect type of person that I would love I love getting to have these type of conversations with. He um he really loves people and when you're around him you can just feel his care for genuinely impacting others. He's also a super Bible nerd like I am. We've had a number of really nerdy Bible conversations this is together. True. Many around a lunch table or in the hallway. Um, they've been fantastic. And you studied biblical literature at university mm-hmm. and uh, also really love languages too. Yep. That's true. <laughs> this summer we've been talking about our language journeys and, you know, reading stuff in original languages. A lot of fun. Uh, so I'm excited for our conversation today because I heard Jonathan give a talk that I thought was just really fascinating. Uh, if you listen to episode nine, of this podcast, I talked about one of the values of learning more about the Hebrew Bible is that there are stories in the New Testament time period that they add, they have more depth, more layers, and more meaning that we otherwise wouldn't have known about. And we realize there's an intentionality with things that happen sometimes that's just fascinating. And today, I feel like uh, Jonathan is going to show us one of those today. So, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, no, I, I, I love seeing the connection between the Bible. I sometimes get the impression that the New Testament is somehow divorced from the Old Testament as if it's a totally different story when it's not. Mm-hmm. It's one unified story. Mm-hmm. And so that's my passion. I love intertextuality, which is exactly that. It's finding how the stories connect, how mm-hmm. they point to each other, and how they speak to each other and form each other. And so that's a lot of my motivation, a lot of my passion behind this, this paper, this research that I did on John 20, which is the resurrection story of Jesus. I noticed, first of all, that there's two garden narratives, in Genesis and John. I'm going to briefly go through that, yeah. share some of the connections and the insights that I saw and that really impacted my life. Mm-hmm. So if you all have a Bible, I'm going to be in John 20. In Genesis 2 and 3 in John um, very similar to some of the other resurrection stories what you have is Jesus um, is laid in a tomb only John notes that it's in a garden which I find interesting I'll go back to that later <laughs> so maybe it's helpful to mention one little thing here when you say resurrection stories plural is there there's one event of the resurrection of Jesus but there are different authors that write about this story. Correct. And each of them emphasize a certain point, yeah. certain things more than others. Yes. Maybe fair to say, just like if different people are at a party, 
based on the personality, some mm -hmm. people might emphasize something different. Like me and my wife are very different. If I'm, if we're going to tell you about a party, I'm going to talk about the conversations I had. Mm -hmm. She's going to talk about the new candle yeah. that they had that has a different kind of smell. And we just add different elements to the picture. So we're talking about the resurrection story of Jesus, one of the most critical events of Christianity, emphasizing the, the things that John emphasizes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think just that point that John, the way he portrays his gospel, I'd say even from the very beginning, in the beginning was the word. There is this illusion, there's this echoing, a call back to the very beginning, back to Genesis 1. And as you go through it, I would argue that, that John's gospel is concerned with this idea of new creation, which is the idea that in Jesus, in Christ, we have a rebirth of the world, a new creation, a new humanity, that Jesus is the firstborn of a new creation, as I think Paul and some of the other New Testament writers go into later. And so I think that is important to note. That's important to see because it is a theological framework of how John is trying to present, I believe, his resurrection story. So let's unpack that a little bit. A um, lot of gold there. So when you talk about how John opens up his gospel, so if you're not familiar, right, so John opens up, uh, John's, the story that he's writing is hundreds of years, well over a thousand years, right, theoretically maybe multiple thousand years, into a long story that's been going on for a long time. So the Hebrew Bible story, from at least from about Moses to uh, Malachi, is about 1,400 years, mm -hmm. right? And then Jesus is happening another three to 400 years after that. And then that's not even counting the Abraham story that's before Moses. There's a long story happening. So when John comes, he writes his story, and he decides to open up what I think is in an interesting way, where he opens up his story the same way that the first book yeah. of the Bible opens up. And so that's what you're highlighting, which is that John's trying to take your mind. Before he tells the story of Jesus, he wants you to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. And what's the beginning about? The beginning is the first story is creation how things are made and they were made to be good. good yeah we see that time and time again god saw that it was good 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 very good and for anyone who's been alive for longer than two minutes we realize that there are things that are bad and then and in the early genesis story we get the story of how things went wrong mm -hmm. how things went bad um, but I think, and I think I'm starting to segue yeah. into some of your other stuff here. No, yeah, no. Thank you for doing that. That it is. I think it is really good. Maybe discuss just briefly what what the original story was, mm -hmm. and so we can compare it more in light of the John story. Yeah. So, I think everyone uh, is very familiar with a lot of the Genesis two three narrative. What you see is, like you said, God created the world, and it was good. Mm -hmm. It wasn't sin first it was good first mm -hmm. and so adam and eve placed in a garden and they are having a what i would say a symbiotic relationship with creation they work they protect the garden and the garden feeds them preserves them and they are in full communion with god but genesis 3 comes we see the serpent introduced he deceives eve and there's a fall right and so some of the relationship breakdown you see all throughout Genesis 1 through 11 is setting the stage for the restoration you see in John 20. First, you know, you have the serpent deceiving Eve to where she doesn't trust God's intentions anymore. She questions if God actually has her best interest in mind. Mm. You, you see her 
Uh, there's a very strong emphasis in Genesis on the eyes, that she sees the fruit, and it looks appealing to the eye, and so she takes and receives it for, for wisdom and trying to be like God or like the gods. And so <clears throat> she takes the fruit, and we know the story. She sees her nakedness. She gives it to, to Adam, the, the, the husband, and he takes. And instead of seeing wisdom, instead of seeing good things, she sees her nakedness. They see their nakedness and their shame, and they hide from God. God comes and asks, where are you? Where are you? And then they're like, oh, like we, we, we felt shame, so we hid from you. And then, of course, there's the whole interrogation that goes down is like, well, like, what did you do? Did you take of the fruit that I told you not to eat? And then, and then uh, Adam's like, it's the woman that you gave me. And so there's a breakdown between man and wife, between man and woman. There's a breakdown of relationships. And then creation itself starts to, starts to dissolve with, with uh, the soil becoming a toil for man, um, with, with animals starting to uh, be, work against Adam and Eve. They're, the, the perfect relationship between creation, humanity, and God are all breaking down to little factions, even between man and woman itself. And so that's the precedent. That's the foundation. When we go over to John, okay, so the, the resurrection story in John 20 is very interesting. Like I said before, only John notes that it's in, in a garden that this resurrection tomb is in. And John 20 starts out with Mary going to the tomb to visit Jesus. She sees that it's empty and goes reports to the, to the disciples. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved mm -hmm. go, go to the tomb and they walk away saying, huh, I wonder what that's about, trying to ponder, ponder those things. And it's really the scene after that that I find very fascinating. When, when Mary comes back and is wait, waiting at the tomb, she's weeping mm -hmm. at the tomb. And I'll just go ahead and maybe read this. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, this is John 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and do not know where they had laid him. Having said, that, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did, she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So the thing I find beautiful about this story right here is to compare it with the original garden story. We all know that the, the, the in Genesis, the narrative focuses around a woman, Eve, and it's because of her deception that sin and the whole breakdown enters the world, right? But in this story, we see exact reversal. It's, of all people, it's not, it's not the men, it's not, the, not Peter, it's not, not John, it's a woman, it's Mary, that first gets, gets the revelation of Jesus 
and she's weeping outside the tomb and the angels ask her asking her questions woman why are you weeping there's a prompting there's 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 questions being asked you go back to go back to Genesis 3 you can see the same thing um, God comes and asks Adam and Eve uh, where are you where are you the prompt the questions are meant to prompt a revelation to prompt a confession that they they admit what they've done now you see whereas Adam and Eve hid maybe we can do something real quick before we keep diving into this because um, I think what you've, you've turned over something that's pretty interesting which which you paid attention to John saying that there's a garden right outside the tomb and I think for me right before I heard you talk about the paper I never thought about that it just it sounded like any other random detail you know that you're just throwing in there before we get to the good stuff right before we get to the Jesus risen awesome yay like it almost feels like why are we stopping why why would we stop in the middle of the great story of Easter if you will like the biggest story of all Christianity to say oh look there's a garden it feels like a kid who you know in a family they, they've made this huge big plan to go to the zoo or somewhere right and it's all about going to that big destination and then they get really fascinated by this little insect that's outside the park and like what are we stopping for like all the big animals are over here yeah like what are we doing and and uh, I think it seems to me what you've done is something that is the type of activity that it, it's one of the characteristics I think of really good Bible readers which is paying attention to some of the details because unlike modern literature and I would say especially some of that stuff we had to read in like uh, middle school and high school some of the older English literature you know in the pre-tv days when it was written when people were really you know were bored didn't have tv to watch and all Netflix to binge you have these books that include so many details they're describing everyone's dress you know they're describing the roofs of the buildings they're describing all sorts of things there are a lot of details that frankly you know they aren't relevant to the plot uh, but especially for the Hebrew Bible and I imagine to a strong degree the New Testament these writings are much more compact and so when they're including details generally it's because they matter and so what you've done is said okay why why are they emphasizing there's a garden here and of course there are other connections you're making too but it makes us ask the question this have we seen a garden before is there a, a time when garden has been an important context before and as we think through the biblical story the more you read the more connections you can make is basically saying uh, yeah actually I have the Garden of Eden this is the beginning of God's creation the first place where humans and God were together and so then once we know okay I see the setting connection as I read through I want to see are there any other connections yeah are there any other intentional things so uh, you know, so one of the connections you made, for example, is that there is a woman who is questioned, mm -hmm. and there's a questioning between someone asking a woman some questions, uh, and there's some others that you're going to make. So keep making some of those connections yeah. for us, and yeah. maybe after each connection, we can pause for a little bit just to talk about why it is significant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for doing that. It's that's really since I've done this paper, that's the way I read the Bible now. When mm -hmm. I I love intertextuality, like I said at the beginning. So when I'm reading a story, mm -hmm. my mind is thinking, where have I seen this before? Mm -hmm. where, where, where do other biblical authors talk about this? Because yeah. 
believe it or not, I mean, the, the biblical authors are very smart. Yeah. They, they know, especially the New Testament authors, they know the Hebrew Bible, frontward and backwards. They're very intentional. Yeah. As, uh, as like Dr. Lamp said in his hermeneutics class, there is no unimportant detail. Mm-hmm. Everything, like you said, there, there's a point that it's there. Yeah. And I should say, too, it's not. I feel like it's not done in a cryptic way mm-hmm. where it's like there's this hidden secret knowledge that unless you know the codes... You know, that's yeah. not really what it is. It's it's um, for the ancient readers and writers, this would have been something that, yes, it would require meditation, but it's not like it requires secret knowledge. Yeah. It's just simply a matter of, as you said, just actually paying attention to the details. Yeah. And as you continue to read these stories, you realize, oh, I see what they were doing there. Yeah. Yeah, so go ahead. Walk us through some of these more, more of these connections. Yeah, sure. So the one that really prompted all of this for me, the first one, the, the big thing that caught my eye at first... Mm-hmm was in this story, Mary thought Jesus was a gardener. Mm. All right, so where have we seen a gardener before? All the way back in the beginning, Adam was told to to uh, shamar Navad, to work and to protect. That's Hebrew for you guys. You the know. garden, yeah. And so Adam, from the very beginning, he was a gardener. Mm. Jesus was a gardener. And not just a gardener in the sense of you know plant care, but he was responsible. Like I'm trying to grow some peppers in the backyard. Yeah. It's really failing. It's going poorly. It's kind of a little side project. Yeah. No, I mean, Adam, he was not just meant to take care of plants, grow like a garden. He was meant to be a steward of the earth, to be a representation of God's glory. Um, some of the language in Genesis is also kingly for him to subdue the earth, to, to, to reign over it. And Jesus also, in John's Gospel, is presented very much so in kingly language. You see, uh, uh, before the crucifixion, Jesus has a purple robe on. He's dressed up as a king. He has the crown of thorns. Um, So you have those connections right there. Or even right after that scene when Jesus is introduced, I love this this point right here. Uh, Pilate introduces Jesus, says, here is the man, or here the man. That language is the exact saying that's used in Genesis, when God says, you know, to Himself or to the Heavenly Council, "Behold, the man has become like us, knowing both good and evil," and so you have the connection there of Adam, Christ. You have the kingly language. You have the gardener, and like I said, it's not just taking care of a plant, but it's being responsible of a whole new world, a new creation, right there. So that detail is very important to note. Um, as I said before, the yeah the theme of questioning, that um, um, the questions are meant to prompt towards a point, whereas Mary, you see mm-hmm. after after uh, mm-hmm. Ma- after Mary took of the fruit, it led to hiding, whereas for uh, uh, sorry at, after Eve took of the fruit, they went to hiding. But you see here, uh, it's always it's always God revealing Himself. It's God that comes to man. It's always God coming to man. He reveals himself to Mary, and instead of shame, it's joy. If there's, a rever- there's a reversal there. Instead of um, seeing nakedness, she sees Jesus. Once again, that idea of seeing, of eyes. It's very important in Genesis. You see that repetition of eyes, of seeing that the fruit looks good. It looks appealing to the eye. In John, you have a, a very similar idea of people seeing Jesus, but not just physically, visibly seeing him, 
but understanding him, experience him, experiencing him spiritually, um, understanding who he is. And so I would argue that when Mary finally sees Jesus, there is uh, you know, an unscaling of her spiritual eyes that she's able to see the risen Lord, to experience him, who he is. It's always pointing to Jesus. And in, and in this case, I don't think it's a coincidence that, G, that Mary first sees Jesus as a gardener. I think that, like I said before, there, there is uh, kind of a double meaning, I would say there. Like, even though she thinks he's just some random guy, it's very intentional, I think, what John's doing here, this little detail that Jesus is the gardener. He is the second Adam. He is the first of a new creation. Maybe we can unpack that a little bit, talking about ideas of the second Adam, of him being a gardener. Um, so what for you would you say is the significance of that? Yeah, that's good. Well, um, uh, so this idea of new creation, I think we can unpack that a little bit more. One thing that I see a lot is this idea that God is just wiping the slate, starting over like he's going to destroy the world or create something totally different. It's not. what God. Everything God does is he takes what is flawed. He takes what is, what is marred and turns that into beauty. He takes the ashes, making it into beauty. And so Jesus as the gardener, I believe, is just a... It's, a, it's an acceleration, it's a perfection of the original Eden Garden. Sometimes I think people think that, that, uh, <clears throat> that it's like the Garden of Eden in Genesis was the beginning and the end of it all. Like, no, it was the beginning of, of a subduing of the earth. Like, like creation wasn't done. Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve had a job. And so it wasn't that he just created it and it was in a static place that creation was just in a static state of perfection mm -hmm. there was always from the very beginning a moving towards a goal mm -hmm. and i think here jesus is doing what adam could not mm -hmm. he's doing what was failed at the very beginning yeah. the, the 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 command to fill and subdue the earth is still is still part of the command today jesus said at the very end go and make disciples of all nations mm -hmm. so i think seeing that connection is understanding we are still part of that original story. We are still mm. part mm. Of, of, of the story from the very beginning and that we're, not no, we're no longer chained. We're no longer part of that curse under Adam. We are freed from that. And now, and, and now that we're freed, we get to be a part of this new movement of creation on the earth mm. that Jesus, as the new gardener, as the new uh, king, protector, preserver, of a new creation, we get to be a part of that. You talk, you think about Paul, mm -hmm. how we're entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. I believe that's also part of this idea that we are renewing, we are restoring what was lost. So it's not just just uh, you know uh, throwing everything away, but taking what was flawed and making it more beautiful. And, and that's and that's us. We are living testimonies of that in our lives. You think about you think about what our lives were like without Christ, or even just, you know, in our growth, you know, becoming more like Jesus. There is taking that which was flawed, that which was sinful, and making it a testimony, a, a glorification of Jesus. It's mm. all about Jesus. Mm. So I, I find that to be very compelling mm. and beautiful. 
and I think is part of this idea of of what it means to be new, have new creation, Jesus as the gardener. I don't know. Does that spark? Yeah, anything? yeah. Maybe I'll summarize then ask you a practical question based on this. So, it seems the story is this: is that God created everything, and that includes people, and He wanted to work with people, and He gave people a, a purpose, a mission, a job to do. But the people failed in doing that, and the rest of the Hebrew story is people continually trying. At least some of them are trying. Some of them just don't even care. But they're trying to do what God originally called them to do. But it's them continuing to fail in that. And so we learn after, you know, at least, five, you know, 1,500 years of, of story material, if not a lot more, of basically we find out, okay, if after 1,500 years people can't do it, like, we just, we can't do this. We are incapable. Like, this is a problem. Moses writes about how much... You guys just can't do this. But people like Moses and the prophets write about a time when, when something's going to change. And that change is going to be because of a, an important person. The person has many different names in the Hebrew Bible. But we learn that this person who's going to change everything is, ends up being Jesus. That he is, God became a human. Mm -hmm. And as a human, as a person, he did what we failed to do. He actually did it. Mm -hmm. And so in his life, everything from all the, all the teaching that he did, all the loving he did to his death and resurrection is that he first, he became someone who actually lived according to God's guidance in a way of loving others. Uh, and then also somehow in a very mysterious, but powerful, awesome way through his life, death and resurrection for those who believe in him, we are transformed to a degree and in some way we're changed at the core of our being that we're able to be more like God than ever before. We're mm -hmm. able to embrace more than ever before what it means to, to follow him. So my practical question for you is this, as you alluded to how, how Adam and Eve, their original mandate were to be great gardeners, if you will, right? To be used the concrete terms in that ancient story, right? And the idea is that Jesus he is the ultimate gardener. Mm -hmm. But then like the way that God has always worked, he wants others to be involved too. So to continue that analogy, right? That we are also to be gardeners. Yeah. And, but what does that mean? Like when you use the, the phrases from the old stories about, you know, subduing the earth, filling the earth, being a gardener, like help me understand what does that mean I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to move out of my apartment to a place where I have some more land to be able to put some, to put some seed in the ground and start growing things. Like, what does it mean to follow that mandate now? Like that, that mission and purpose that God has for us. What is, can you unpack that practically for me? Sure. Yeah. What ideas would you have for that? Because <clears throat> I realize it's a huge question. Oh yeah. You know, I'm sure it's impossible for anyone just to answer, but like, what would your response be based on just how you lived your life and how you study? What would that look like for someone who says, yeah, I want to follow in that tradition of what Jesus started of being the ultimate gardener. And I want to follow in his path of, of, you know, of, of that, yeah. what would you say? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to bring us back to what Jesus told Mary after the revelation. And I find this is probably the most important point of what it means to be a quote-unquote gardener mm -hmm. in a new creation. This is John 20, uh, verse 17. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. When I talked at the beginning, we know this. When there's a breakdown in the relationship between God and man, you see a perfect restoration of that right here. It's no longer Jesus' Father, Jesus' God. It's like, no, we have... God is our Father. Understanding that, I believe grasping the revelation that that Jesus is uh, is the restorer of our relationship with God, that Jesus, that the Father is our Father, God is our God, that, I believe, is the starting point of bringing restoration, of being a quote-unquote gardener. And so what that means practically, living that out, I believe, is... Well, I guess maybe this seems simple, but just living as Jesus did, yeah, walking that out, um, trying to think of maybe another non-metaphorical way of saying it, but maybe just as simple, like I said, of of bringing people uh, to Jesus. Yeah, that's what Mary did. Mm-hmm. Mary shared the revelation of I've seen the Lord with the disciples. She was like a little apostle to the apostles. Mm-hmm. That is the ultimate way of of bringing restoration is pointing people to jesus yeah but as far as everything else i mean obviously we still have you know a mandate to uh take care of the world subduing and filling it is i think more than just making more people or just you know mastering things but actually being uh personal responsible uh representatives of God which Mm. is being like Jesus is living like he did but also I believe it is uh, living with this sense of purpose living with this sense Mm. of understanding that you have a value you have you have uh, a purpose as a son and daughter of God to do to do exactly what God's called you to do which is to be like Jesus to love like him and to seek him, to know him, to have a relationship with him so that he can guide your life. I don't know, like, like yeah. what, what comes to mind for yeah, you? Yeah, that's like, beautiful. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad you explained those things because I think um, we may not have reached that conclusion. I think it's just fascinating that, that this story emphasizes that we are reconnected with God and that we want to live in such a way as if we truly are. <laughs> and living in such a way where we love God and love others well. And, you know, it might sound too simple. You even mentioned that yourself. But the more that I read the stories, the poems, and the speeches that are in the Bible, the more I find that they're all leading to the same place. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a number of paths that lead that lead to the, the same, they lead to the same person. Mm-hmm. They lead to Jesus. They lead to the same purpose, loving him and loving other people. It's just all sorts of different angles to take away from it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, for me, I enjoy reading the Bible and reading more and more of it and looking into different things. What I find is once again, we still end up in the same place. So even with looking at something as, as nuanced and detailed and as beautiful as saying, Hey, did you know that there's a fun detail in the resurrection story about how Jesus was in the garden and his interaction with a woman in that garden? is connecting to the the first resurrection. Oh my gosh, that's a crazy connection. I've never heard it before, right? 
once again, the end of this conversation, I feel like is landing us in the same spot yeah. as before. And so for what it does for me as someone who follows Christ is this, it emphasizes once again that I want to make sure that my life is about loving God and loving other people well. Yeah. So as we kind of like begin to land the plane here, um, do you have like any um, like you know closing thoughts? Any last uh, whether connection you want to make or just general thoughts you want to share? Uh, I think maybe just even the very end of my paper, I felt like expresses well the big point I'm trying to make, and it's stuff that we already know, but it's good to see. <laughs> these little details even in the framework of the story yeah sure so uh yeah my paper ends thus the yeah why don't you bring that over here bring it in front of you so we can hear sure oh let's see that way you talk to the mic when you read it okay thus the story that began in a garden reaches its climax in a renewed garden of god christ is the second adam of a new genesis the way to the tree of life has been opened to humanity and the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. Wow. So, if anything, this detail should just, I want for people that hear this to ignite in them just a, a more deep love for the Bible and a love for Jesus. But really, what I'm talking about, all of this, this fancy language is really just expressing the gospel. The detail of Genesis all the way to the resurrection in John 20 it is the gospel. It's played out, not just in some prose that Paul's talking about in some obscure philosophical ter terminology. It is a story. The gospel is a story. And you see this in the way humanity finds God, the way that, he, that God comes to humanity, and the way those relationships are brought back together. Beautiful. What a beautiful way to end that. Love how you ended your paper. And um, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. Love going to hear this. I know we just scratched the surface. There's so much depth, so many connections, so many things. And I'm excited for you to get to share uh, the connections you see in more context. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hebrew Bible Insights. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Anchor app. I'm also starting a YouTube channel, and I also have a Patreon page for any of you who would like to support financially. Thank you for, for all that you do, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next conversation.